Homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Welcome back, my young friends, to the gradual teaching series for our Youth Dhamma School. And welcome anybody else who's also listening or watching. So today's talk is on virtue. So Buddha's gradual instructions on virtue, Sila Kata. We have previously looked at the Buddha's talk on giving, Dana Kata. And we looked at some role models such as Visaka the laywoman and Anathapindika, very renowned giver or donor of the Buddha and the Sangha. And we also did a guided meditation on giving, looked at stream entry, generosity as a factor of stream entry. So various things we've looked at. So now we're turning our mind to the talk on virtue. And yes, it's very well known that virtue is not considered very cool, but in this talk, we're hoping to turn that around and to look at virtue in a different way and give you some inspiration towards keeping virtue. What we'll broadly cover in this session is what is sila and why is it important? We'll also look at how to reflect on taking the five precepts, We'll then look at why we need to protect the mind. And during the session, there'll be different things that we'll consider from the Buddha's words, different aspects about virtue. And then we'll link throughout this session to other parts of the Buddha's teachings. So we'll link back to merit making when it comes to giving and also link to how it's important in developing the mind. And then lastly, probably our link to the heavens, which is our next uh, instruction from the Buddha. The first question we can ask is the most straightforward one, which is what is virtue? What is sila? And there are a number of words that we use, such as virtue, morality, ethics, integrity, uh, training precepts, wholesome actions, skillful behavior, monastic discipline, and code of conduct. So when you look at these words, really, it's about knowing what's right from wrong, knowing what is good conduct, good actions. And this could be through body, speech, and mind. So what do we do in our actual physical behavior? What do we do with our verbal behavior? And what do we do with our mental behavior? So you get the idea. It's very much knowing what is good for us, what is good for others, and, and how to behave, how to conduct ourselves in an upright manner. In the Buddha's teachings, there are different standards of, of virtue. So we normally call them precepts or training rules. And the first one is five precepts. So this is something that normal uh, householders, lay people who are following the Buddha's path, they would take the five precepts. Then you have the eight precepts, which is three more than the five precepts. And this is normally undertaken on Uposatha days, so moon days, or at other times when you feel like you want to train a little bit more. Then you have the 10 precepts, which is usually when you're really serious about training. So in that case, usually the most obvious one when you do this is you give up the uh, handling of money. That's one of the most significant things when it comes to the 10 precepts and various other things as well. And if you're staying in a monastery, then you get additional rules on top of that. 
Now, we have come across the 10 wholesome conduct, so we know this as Dasa Kusala, and we learned this when we're looking at the Metta School meditation, so Karaniya Metta Bhavana. And 10 wholesome conduct, what's really behind that, as with all precepts, it's really around our physical conduct, our verbal conduct, and our mental conduct. So Buddha has certain training rules or even consideration about what we can refrain from in order to support doing, in this case, the metta bhavana, but also other things as well. And that's essentially what precepts are around. It, it's the supportive safety container for us to walk the Buddha's path. And then lastly, we have Vinaya and Patimoka. So when you ordain into the Buddha's teaching, you become a monk or, or a nun, then this is your safety container that helps you to actually fast track when you're walking the Buddha's path. And that fast track is towards Nibbana. Now, the other part of it is Vinaya and Patimoka, they help with also living in community. So it helps you to actually live uh, with the same kind of virtue as everybody else. And it also helps you in dealing with people who are not ordained. So those are the different kinds of precepts or, or training rules that one can take in terms of the Buddha's teaching. We're now going to look at the five precepts in more detail. And the Buddha encourages this for lay people who want to walk the Buddha's path. So the first one is you refrain from killing living beings. The second is you refrain from taking what is not given, also known as stealing. The third is you refrain from sexual misconduct. The fourth is you refrain from false speech, also known as lying. And the last one is you refrain from alcohol, wine and intoxicants. So these are the basis for negligence. So the key thing around precepts is that it's around safety. Safety for ourselves and safety for others. And there's a number of things around that that the Buddha talks about. And so under each precept, we'll look at that. Now, when we said at the beginning that people often think that taking precepts is not cool, that you know being virtuous is not cool, what people don't understand is that virtue is the safety container, that when you live in community, you live in the world, you offer that not just to people, but you offer that to all the insects, all the other kinds of living beings that are in the world, animals, you know, all, all kinds of creatures. So although it may not be cool or considered cool to keep precepts, what is true is that it takes a lot of courage and strength to actually take the precepts. And we'll see what that really means in, in more detail. Now, what is easier to do is to be negligent, to actually uh, not curb what we do by body, speech and mind. So that is what is usually considered cool, that you allow yourself to behave however you want, say whatever you want, and think whatever you want, even if it hurts others. And that is what is usually considered cool in the world. But it's really important to think about that. Is that really cool? So that's why when you say, actually, you need a lot of strength in order to be virtuous. Now that you can see, because that means you pull yourself back from just doing whatever you want. 
And you do that because you think this is good for me and this is also good for others. Let's begin with the first precept, which is we refrain from killing living beings. Now, when we think about this, it's all kinds of things to do with harming or killing. So it can be animals, insects, human beings, and you know whatever living creatures there are. So the best way to reflect upon it is to think in the first instance, would I like to be harmed or killed? Now, the most obvious answer is no. We don't want someone to come and beat us up. We don't want someone to come and kill us. So when you turn that around, then wouldn't you offer that to other living beings? Because you know the dukkha, the pain of being harmed or killed. So that's the first way of thinking about it. And it can be really powerful when you know that you don't want that happening to yourself and so that you offer that to others. The other thing to think about is that when you actually refrain from killing, what you're offering is freedom from fear, freedom from hatred, and freedom from trouble to others. That's what you're offering when you refrain from killing. And so in that way, what that means is that you offer them safety, non-harm, and other people will be able to trust you because you don't have that harmful intent towards them. And they nat naturally sense that vibe from you. And what Buddha says is, the other way of thinking about it is, what would be the result if you were to break this precept? Now we know from the Buddha's teaching, we looked at this when we looked at the different defilements in the Vatubhama Sutta, and we looked at the result of bad actions. And the Buddha says, if you kill, then what you can expect as the karmic result of that action is a shorter lifespan. So most of us, we think we want to live a very long time so that we can spend more time with all the people that we love and do the things that we're here to do. And so when you kill living beings, Buddha says, the result will be a shorter lifespan. So that's another way of thinking of refraining when you know that. Then lastly, the thing to think about when it comes to refraining from killing living beings is you know that if you kill, that will give rise to hate. Like the, the, that's the root of it. And then hate will give rise to killing. So it's, it's like a loop. And so that's also why you make the determination, like a very, very strong intention to refrain or to give up any kind of killing. Let's now look at the second precept, which is refraining from taking what is not given. So we give up stealing. Now, how we can reflect on this is, would I like to have my things taken or stolen? Now, if you've ever had anything stolen from you, then you know it's extremely painful to lose your belongings, whether it's book or notes or something tangible like a mobile phone, something expensive, jewelry, anything, even food. When someone takes your food, it's also extremely painful. And so when you turn that around, you realize that actually that's what you would inflict on others if you were to take what is not given. And so that's another reason or way that you reflect and you refrain. Now, when you refrain from stealing, it's really good to know that you give freedom from fear, hatred, and trouble to another person or another being.
And when you practice that, you're also practicing renunciation. You're also practicing non-harm. And others, of course, would be able to trust you. So in a working environment, for example, say you work at a grocery shop, your boss will be able to trust you with more responsibility if you're someone that doesn't steal. And the same with parents. Parents will give you more responsibility and freedom if they know that you are responsible in this way. They will uh, allow you to stay at home by yourself, for example, and they'll trust you with that. So there are many things that follow when you keep certain precepts. We also know from the Buddhist teaching that the result of breaking this particular precept, that if you steal, then the Buddha says that if you're born into uh, the human world again, that you would experience loss of wealth. So you wouldn't be born rich. You'd most likely be born with poverty, or if you have riches, you would lose it. So that's something to bear in mind. And then when you know that uh, stealing gives rise to greed, because that's the reason why people steal, it's because of greed, then greed also gives rise to stealing. So they go hand in hand, that stealing gives rise to greed, greed gives rise to stealing. And so you make the determination, the very strong intention to refrain from stealing, refrain from taking what is not given. With the third precept, refraining from sexual misconduct, the way to reflect on this is to think, would I like to experience the pain of betrayal and the breaking up of relationships or families? So when you're very, very young, you probably don't have an inclination towards sexual misconduct. But as you get older, I think this will become a little bit easier to understand what this really means. And what it really is, is inflicting pain on people that you essentially care about. And usually what happens with sexual misconduct is the breakup of families, the breakup of relationships. And so when you know what that's like, even as a young person, you may know what that's like when you've seen it with friends, families, or maybe even your own family, then you know that that can be extremely painful. And so when you turn that around and you look at yourself, whether right now or in the future, you know that you wouldn't want to inflict that on anybody else, any third parties, whether they're adult people or whether they're younger people, because the pain is very, very real. And so when you refrain from this kind of misconduct, you give freedom from fear, hatred and trouble. And you practice non-harm, non-cruelty. And of course, others will trust you. So when you're in a relationship, people will trust you. They know you wouldn't do this kind of cheating, deception and misconduct. And so the result of breaking this precept, what the Buddha says is that if you cheat, deceive and undertake sexual misconduct, then in future, what you can expect is uh, enmity, so people to have aversion towards you, hostility towards you, and also a great deal of rivalry, competition. So even if you like someone, you'll have fierce competition for that. And you may not even win when it comes to winning someone's heart, winning them you know, to build a life together. And then lastly, what we know about misconduct is that it gives rise to delusion 
and this delusion in turn gives rise to misconduct. So again, there's a loop there. And so for that reason, you make this determination to refrain from misconduct. So you make that very strong intention. The fourth precept that we take is we refrain from false speech or lying. So false speech is an interesting one because if you really think about it and how you reflect on it is, would I like people to lie to me? And most of us have a very powerful reaction in the negative when someone lies to us, when someone deceives us and tells us falsehoods. So the person or the character that we normally associate with lying is Pinocchio. Pinocchio, every time he lied, his nose would get bigger and bigger and bigger or longer and longer and longer. So quite often there's a lot of pain when someone has lied to you. You really feel like you can't forgive them, you can't trust them, all those sorts of things. So you remember that, that if you lied, the same thing would happen to you. So when you turn that around, you realize, actually, I don't want to lie to other people. I don't want to have false speech. I'd rather just stop my tongue from uttering any of these words uh, if, if there was an opportunity or chance to, to lie. So when you refrain from lying or false speech, you give people, other people, freedom from fear, hatred and trouble. And when you practice this, you practice renunciation, non-harm, and of course people will trust you. They'll believe your words if every single time you tell them truth. Now, the result of breaking this precept, the Buddha says, is that you would be falsely accused in the future. And so if you know that you're going to be falsely accused of something, then it's really good to actually refrain from, from lying. And when it comes to false speech, the Buddha says, false speech gives rise to greed and greed gives rise to false speech. And so you make that really strong intention or determination to really give up lying and false speech. The fifth precept is to refrain from alcohol, wine and intoxicants. So a good way to reflect on this is if you have experience being around someone who's drunk or intoxicated, then you realize that it's not pleasant, that it can be really, really unpleasant. And sometimes for some people, it can be really scary because people's behavior goes really violent or very abusive. So when you turn that around, you don't want to inflict that kind of suffering on other people by taking intoxicants or alcohol. Now, when you refrain from taking alcohol and intoxicants, you're giving others freedom from fear, freedom from hatred and trouble. And so you're practicing non-cruelty and, you know, other people will be able to trust you rather than fear you and, and worry about you. Now, what the Buddha says about taking intoxicants, like the result of it is quite interesting. The Buddha says that you would be in the future mentally deranged or you will suffer from madness. And in many ways, when you're around someone who is fiercely intoxicated, you can see that they start behaving in a really abnormal way and they're not in control of any of their faculties. And so that's where the madness, you can see the madness start to arise. And when you think about the future ramifications, then if you're born into a human realm again, then you're not going to be born with very good faculties. There'll be madness and derangement of the mind. So when you know this, then 
you know that alcohol intoxicants give rise to dullness and drowsiness. So dullness in the mind, drowsiness in the body. And then this dullness and drowsiness gives rise to delusion. And then delusion gives rise to alcohol and intoxicants. There's a loop there. So you make that strong determination, that strong intention to refrain from alcohol and intoxicants. So when people are training on the Buddha's path, so when they've really started to see the importance of training in the Buddha's teachings, the Buddha talks about being accomplished in virtue, sila sampano. And so it's really good, even at this instance, to know what is the Buddha's benchmark? What is the, the, the high grade for virtue? And so there are a number of suttas that talk about it. And so this is not something that you need to worry about now, but it's good to know that this is where the Buddha says this is like almost like your A+. And so the first one is you dwell restrained in physical, verbal, and mental conduct. So that means you keep your precepts, whatever they are, whether they're five precepts or whether it's all the way up to the Vinaya, if you're a monk or a nun. And then the Buddha says you're perfect in behavior and areas of activity. So that means you're very conscious of how you behave and you're also very careful where you go and put yourself. So you don't go and put yourself in a place where there's lots of intoxicants. You don't go and put yourself in a place that you can fall in terms of your sila, in terms of your virtue. You don't put yourself in risky situations, really. And then Buddha talks about you train. You train in this good conduct and you, you keep taking the precepts. And then the last one is you see danger in the slightest fault. So you really know what is the karmic result the ramifications of breaking precepts. And so you see the danger at the forefront of your mind and you keep it. So it's good to know, isn't it? To know that that's how someone who is accomplished in conduct or leaning in that direction, how they would think about these precepts. A really powerful thing about the Buddha's teaching is always about protecting or guarding our minds. So there's this sutta called the Arakita Sutta, it's in Anguttanikaya chapter 3, discourse number 109. And the Buddha says, When the mind is protected, bodily, verbal, and mental deeds are protected. When deeds are protected, so our actions are protected, they don't become corrupted. When deeds aren't corrupted, they don't become rotten. Someone whose deeds of body, speech, and mind aren't rotten will have a good death. It's like a bungalow with a good roof. When the roof peak rafters and walls are protected they don't get soaked and they don't become rotten so buddha gives us a little simile there about a roof and not getting not getting soaked so you can see there's a gradual thing that if we expose ourselves to breaking precepts and not being virtuous by body speech and mind then we slowly become corrupt like we're not protected we get corrupt and then we get really rotten so Buddha's escalating that. It just gets worse and worse and worse. Now, the reason that we're talking about this sutta is because the Buddha's talking about guarding the mind. And so there's a few things I wanted to uh, expand on. So where we pasture, where we put ourselves. So when we looked at someone who's accomplished in virtue, they're very careful about putting themselves in risky situations or allowing themselves to go into risky areas. So I wanted to touch on a few things. The first one is when we watch movies that are very violent. That is really difficult in terms of keeping precepts because 
you're encouraging the mind to go towards something that is actually bad. And you don't see it at the time, but you realize that you're allowing the mind to think it's okay when you watch violent movies. Eventually it creeps in and something in you switches. And that's not a good thing. The same with reading books which are violent or encourage sexual misconduct or encourage lying. You know, anything that encourages the wrong kinds of virtue, whether it's through watching something, reading something, listening to something. So sometimes music, uh, you know, there are people that have told me that little stories about rap music, heavy metal, and they didn't realize what the lyrics really were saying. And one time they were listening to this music out loud and their parents were there or a friend was there and they were shocked. They thought, what are you listening to? This is about killing. This is about hurting people. And they didn't realize because they didn't pay attention to the lyrics of the music. And so it's really important to know what goes in consciously and what goes in unconsciously, because whether we know it or not, it can go in in an unconscious way and it actually we end up thinking it's okay later on to break our precepts. And the same with the internet, that when you go into the internet, it's not about saying don't go in, it's saying go in knowing that there's danger. So go in knowing that when you go into social media, there's danger of certain things, like the roots of greed, hatred and delusion will always start to kick in when you allow yourself to freely roam. So when you think about parents, why they have child locks when you're young over the internet, it's for that reason. When they tell you not to watch certain things on the TV, it's for a reason because they don't want you to become unprotected. They don't want your mind to become corrupted. And of course, they don't want your mind to be rotten. So as you get older and you want to look after yourself because you become independent, then you want to be able to make those wise decisions. You want to protect your mind. You want it not to become corrupt. You want to be more pure. And you don't want to become rotten, like the Buddha says. And so even with video games, the new things that come out on Netflix, the new books that come out, be very, very careful what you allow yourself or you know, see the merit in what your parents are protecting you from if you're still within that age, that they're trying to do you a good service there. And you can take that along the way as you grow up as well, that when you go, when you get older, you know, you make those wise decisions for yourself and you know why you're doing it because ultimately you don't want to get rotten. So a lovely little sutta from the Buddha is called the Bija Sutta, Bija being seed. The Buddha says, just as whatever kind of seed and plant life attain to growth, increase and expansion, all do so upon the earth, established upon the earth. So too, based upon virtue, established upon virtue, one develops and cultivates the Noble Eightfold Path, and thereby one attains to growth, increase and expansion in wholesome states. So essentially what the Buddha is saying is that if you grow virtue, so you keep the precepts, then many wholesome states will grow and expand. And we're going to talk about the Four Noble Truths towards the end of this series, and that includes the Noble Eightfold Path. So if you want to develop that, then the foundation for that is virtue. 
And so that's something that if you want to have wholesome states, you need to actually have the foundation based on virtue. So keeping our precepts. If you remember from our session on the Buddha's gradual teachings on giving, Dhanakata, we looked at Buddha's teaching to Anathapindika in the Valama Sutta, and he talked about Valama's great offering. And if you remember, we also saw that when you undertake the precepts, when you keep the precepts, then that is more fruitful than offering all these different dhanas, even to the Buddha, even to the Buddha and his Sangha. It's even more fruitful than building a kuti or a dwelling place for the Sangha of the Four Quarters. And it's even more fruitful than taking refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. So when you think about merit making, then sila, keeping sila, being virtuous is actually very, very fruitful and very meritorious. What's really interesting about merit making from the perspective of precepts and keeping precepts, it's good to look at a story. So there's a story in the Vimanavattu, which is the book or the teachings around the heavenly realms. And we're going to look at more of those in, in our next talk. But I wanted to bring this up because this was about a little young boy. And he returned to talk to the Buddha as a deva. And this boy, uh, he was born into the heavenly realms. And he had this, this big mansion. And his name was Chatta. And he came to talk to the Buddha. And so we learn his story about how he met the Buddha when he was just walking along the road. And the Buddha kindly offered him some instruction. So he saw that there was something in this young boy at the time, and he offered some teachings. And so he taught the Buddha about taking refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And on that same day, he also talked about uh, the benefit of keeping the five precepts. And he explained each of the precepts. And so at that time, he decided to observe to take the, the five precepts after meeting the Buddha. So later on, he was again coming on the road, this young boy, Chatta, and he came to an intersection on the road. So this was later after having met with the Buddha. And on that same day, he was surrounded by robbers. They wanted to rob him and they actually killed him because they wanted his money. And because he had gone for refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, he observed the five precepts on that very day that that was the only merit that he collected. So he hadn't collected any merit from Dhan or anything else. And then he was just confirming that as a result of just keeping the precepts, the five precepts, just for that day, or the, a few hours of that day, or maybe less, and taking refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, he ended up being reborn in the Tavatimsa heaven, so one of the Deva realms. And so he experiences all the happiness that he could wish for uh, after that and so he died at a very young age but it's just something that it gives you an idea what the Buddha means when he when he says in the Valama Sutta that you can actually uh, it's very fruitful uh, when you keep the precepts there are three kinds of aspirations for happiness that the Buddha talks about when it comes to why people would guard their virtue the first one is when you aspire May praise come to me. So this is about wanting people to praise you, to commend you. And usually that's when you do good things, when you have good behavior, ethical conduct, integrity, you're seen as a good person. 
And so that's one of the reasons why you guard your conduct. You don't want to break it. You don't want to have a bad reputation. The second one is when you aspire to the happiness of may I become wealthy. And so you guard because you know, as we've seen from this session, that if you break your sealer, particularly if you steal, then it's very easy to lose your wealth. And then the third is you aspire that when you pass away, so perishing of the body at death, may I be reborn in a good destination, in a heavenly wealth, and therefore you guard your uh, virtue. So as we know that Buddha, quite often the result of not having good sila is that you actually have a, a, a bad rebirth, that you're bound for a, a bad destination. And if you're not, then you, if you by chance are born as a human, then you may still suffer because of the karmic result of those bad actions. So this is the other way Buddha says that when you understand certain things that you like the happiness of being praised, you like the happiness that comes with being wealthy, you like the happiness of knowing that you're going to a good place after you pass away, then this is why you guard your virtue. If we take this a little bit further, then we talk about uh, what the Buddha tells us about the drawbacks or dangers of poor sila, poor virtue. And so Buddha talks about five things. The first one is loss of substantial wealth on account of negligence. So what we said before is when you don't keep the precepts or you're very loose with the precepts, then you can be quite negligent. And so that's the opportunity to lose wealth. The other one is the bad reputation, that if you have poor virtue, you become known as someone that speaks the wrong kinds of speech, so false speech, you behave in a very bad way, you get drunk and all those sort of things. So even in society, people don't look highly when you're an alcoholic, for example, or when you constantly lie, or if you're a person that cheats. And then when it comes to the third one, the Buddha says that when you enter any kind of assembly, you're timid and lacking confidence. And this is any kind of assembly or group of people. And that's really because there's a certain kind of fear and lack of confidence because you know your virtue is not clean, that, you've, that you have certain qualities that are not good. And the fourth one is you die feeling lost. So the Buddha is just saying there that you would have a very muddled mind because of the impurity that you've cultivated. And then the last one is a similar one, that with the break of the body after death, you're reborn in a place of loss, a bad place, the underworld, hell. So this is one of the really big dangers. And this touches on our next talk, which is about ascending to the heavens. And so this is one of the repercussions, the drawbacks of when you lack sila. And therefore, in the same sutta, which is part of the Buddha's last uh, teaching, which is Mahaparinibbana Sutta, or the last set of teachings, the Buddha also talks about the benefits of virtue. And so the Buddha says that when you are accomplished in virtue, there are five gains or there are five benefits. So they're the opposite of what we just went through. Instead of loss of wealth, you gain substantial wealth because you're diligent, you're vigilant towards what needs to be attended to. You're not slack about it. You also have a good reputation because you're a person of integrity. You have very good conduct, body, speech and mind. And when it comes to entering any kind of group or assembly, you have confidence, you're self-assured, 
And that's because you know that you are purified in body, speech and mind, that you have that good reputation. So you're fearless walking into any kind of assembly. And then when it comes to death, you won't die feeling lost because you know there is purity there and you know the Buddha's teachings. And then with the breakup of the body after death, of course, instead of a bad destination, it's a good destination, a heavenly realm. And that's what we're going to talk about in our next main session. One of the questions that people often ask about virtue is what supports developing and keeping virtue? So the first thing is sense of shame. So this is around when we feel shameful when we break precepts. This is actually a very good thing that when we feel this sense of shame because we know that we're doing something wrong. So it gives us the opportunity to reflect on it and to decide actually no, I want to actually correct this. And so you immediately correct it. So sense of shame is very important. You know that little voice in your head that says, I shouldn't be doing this. Oh no, I've done it. And then you think, okay, I'm shameful because I shouldn't have done that. And so maybe next time I'll correct it. I won't do it again. So we use that when we think about the Vatubhama Sutta, when we clean our minds, we do that a lot. The second one is fear of wrongdoing. So when you reflect on what is the bad result that will come if I break this precept? That's also very helpful because it prevents you from doing something wrong. It protects you from developing on the unwholesome side. And so instead you develop the wholesome side. So fear of wrongdoing, this healthy fear of wrongdoing is very, very good. The third one is around good friends. That if you're associated with people that want to keep precepts, people that have integrity, people that are honest, people that you know guard and and watch what they do by body speech and mind that can be very helpful because as we know if you hang out with the wrong people people that encourage you to just do whatever you want to just have fun without any thought about the repercussions then those are bad friends because those friends don't encourage you in the good way really good friends are the ones that always try and protect you from going down, whether it's in this lifetime or another lifetime. Those are really considered good friends. Even when it's difficult and they try and stop you and they do so, that is a good friend because they don't want you to fall down. They don't want you to end up in a bad destination. So choose your friends really wisely. Then the third one, of course, uh, the fourth one is, of course, refuge in the triple gem. So refuge in the triple gem is really when you, you actually take Buddha's teachings to heart, when you really take refuge in the Buddha because you see that he's a very, very wise teacher. His words always help us to end up in a better place uh, and lean towards you know, understanding why we are here in our predicament. And then also He's the one that teaches all the good, noble disciples of the Buddha around us. And therefore, you know, you take refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. It's a very good thing, very powerful thing, and also very meritorious, as we saw from the Velama Sutta. And then sense restraint. So when we spoke about protecting the mind, so we protect the mind through the, the different faculties, so eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and of course the mind then you know that that security guard you put in place or a number of security guards you put in place 
that helps you to also keep your sila. Because once you have undertaken the precepts, you want to make sure you don't break them. You want to make sure you're not tempted, put yourself in risky situations, go into the wrong things, play in the wrong areas, then sense restraint is very, very important. And Buddha talks, uh, talks about it as something that leads to happiness. Sense restraint often leads to happiness. There may be other things that support virtue, but one of the final things that I wanted to mention is nature. That in the world we live in at the moment, it's filled with technology, it has its place, it can be very helpful. But at the same time, you know, we spend a lot of time on our gadgets, playing video games, uh, watching TV in some cases, watching, going on the internet. So we spend a lot of time even learning through the internet now. But it's really good to know that those portals or those things that we use are often quite risky. The more time we spend, we can get hooked and sometimes and quite often not in a good way. So when we say nature is supportive of virtue, nature helps to relax the mind. Nature helps to support virtue. So I'll give you an example. When you go and spend time in your garden or you go out into a park or a forest, you start to notice the insects, the birds. You start to notice their behavior, whether they're fearful, which often you see a lot of insects and, and birds and things, they're often very fearful. If you go towards them, they'll fly off or, or scurry away. So these things you learn. You learn about the world when you're in nature. And so in that way, it can become very supportive of, of virtue. But also there's more sense restraint when you're in nature. So you naturally sense restraint because one, you, you look around, but the things that you're looking around with they're more peaceful in nature. And so you keep your sense faculties quite peaceful. Whereas when you're on the internet on something that's more manufactured, more developed, it tends to create wanting. And also depending on what you read, it can create hatred. And also depending on what you read or see or do, it creates uh, delusion. So that's another thing. Just think about going out in nature, getting some sunshine, uh, breathing fresh air, watching things that are more natural around you. And of course, the trees, the rustling of the leaves, the wind, very soothing. So very good to remember that. And so one of the things that the Buddha says when it comes to virtue, like when all things are said and done, if you keep any kind of virtue, Buddha encourages us to recollect on it. And so one of the things that we'll do as a separate session is to look at how we can meditate recollecting our virtuous behavior. So just like we did the merit book guided meditation, so we reflect or recollect our good deeds, then we can also do a meditation that looks at recollecting our virtuous behavior, which is even more meritorious. So the reason that the Buddha says this is because it brings more joy to the mind. It makes the mind also more concentrated. So like we said with Dhanakata, the giving, when you reflect on these things, it brightens the mind. It might makes the mind easy to concentrate and we can direct that towards anything that we want to do. So it could be studying, it could be working, it could be simply peacefulness, tranquility. And so in this way, it was also something that Buddha recommends in terms of meditation.
And we come to the final slide in our session, which is really looking at the grounds for developing this path and practice. So we've come through two sessions now, one on giving and now this one on virtue. And you can see that the path and practice that the Buddha talks about, the foundation for it, it's already starting to develop. You see that with giving, you start to develop. With virtue, you start to develop. These are two parts of the foundation. So dana, sila, and what's the third one? It's bhavana, mental development. So we are starting to build the foundation of our practice. So this is how it comes together. When you hear people talk about dana, sila, bhavana, this is what we're talking about. So when you start to develop on the giving side, you're starting to develop your path and practice. And now when we've been through virtue, again, you're adding to that. And, and we've been starting to do little meditation. So we started with merit book meditation, but also in past sessions that we've had together, we've talked about the metta school. We've talked about the Vatupama Sutta, the simile of the cloth, cleaning our minds. So you can see we're starting to formulate something that will grow like that little seed. It grows into the sapling. It then grows into a plant. So this is like our path and practice. We're watering it. We're developing wholesome states. So if you've ever grown a plant, whether it's from seedling or from little a seed or sapling, you know it's very, very wonderful to watch it grow into either a vegetable or a plant or a flower. It's just such a wondrous thing. So when you think about wholesome states of mind, that is what we're doing. We're planting these little seeds and we're watching them grow. We've now come to the end of our session on Buddha's gradual instructions on virtue, so sila kata. And rather than making the session long or longer, uh, we'll have a few bonus or additional sessions. One will be on the story of the center virtue. So this is from the Dhammapada. We'll also have another session on the story of Chunda, the poor butcher, which is also from the Dhammapada. So those will both be short sessions. And the last thing we'll probably have is a short guided meditation so that we know how to meditate on recollecting on our virtuous behavior. So very similar to the uh, merit book guided meditation, we'll have this particular one just on recollecting our virtue. Let's share the merit with all sentient beings. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be happy and well. Sharing all the merit of this session with all living beings for their benefit. Blessings of the Triple Gem. Wishing you all well. Teruan Saranai.